Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 284. Many first-time cruisers have concerns about what a Royal Caribbean cruise is all about and what it entails. In fact, some even will avoid going on a cruise altogether because they're worried about one of these issues. This week, we're here to tell you any of those doubts, they are just plain wrong, and why avoiding a cruise is not the way to go. Here we go. You can debate the virtues of going on a cruise, but all too often we hear from friends or family members that have not gone on a cruise, that they refuse to take a cruise vacation out of a misguided fear or myth. And I'm sure you've spoken to someone about going on a cruise and they look at you funny and then cite some commonly held misbelief about cruising that keeps them from going on a ship themselves. And this week, we're here to explain why they're all wrong and why in most cases, usually the opposite of their fears is true. And speaking of my fears... We have a Billy Hirsch from CruiseHabit.com joining me on this week's episode to talk all about cruising myths. Billy, welcome back to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Thank you for having me. I Two of my favorite things, talking about cruises and uh, telling people that what they think is wrong. So this is perfect for me. I'm excited. Yes, this episode should be titled Billy um, Ruins Cruise Myths. For, for the nine people that understand that reference, yes. good on you. Uh, On this episode, we're talking about these myths. Actually, this episode was suggested to us by one of our Royal Caribbean blog insiders, Jose Pena, who we both actually had a chance to cruise with on board Symphony of the Seas, was talking about this. And he said, Matt, we should talk about, or you should talk about on the podcast, about reasons people don't cruise and how to refute them. So it's not so much that we have to tell, yell into our microphones, you're wrong, but we need to arm our listeners, Billy, with ammunition, verbal ammunition, to be able to dislodge any well-entrenched anti-cruiser with facts aplenty. In fact, many facts bombs are being dropped today, and we're here to uh, share that. So, um, Well, and I think what, what you can help me do, and I'm glad you, you brought it up the way that you did, what you can help me do is make sure that, that both of us uh, share facts that people can share to further inform people, rather than you know, just shouting, you're wrong. Because whether it's about cruising or anything else, uh, as tempting as it sometimes is, um, that's what we're actually here to talk about. Is just objective information, options that maybe people don't know they have. Yes, that's that's exactly well put. And there are so many reasons, you know, that I'm sure you and I have heard over the years. So, you know, I think this is basically an episode in which we're going to – both of us are going to pick up ideas or things we've heard about and then, you know, kind of go off on there. So, Billy, I'm going to start with one that I hear all the time from friends and family, and that is they're going to be bored on a cruise. Yeah, that is, um, I, I believe statistically, that is one of the two most common reasons people give for not taking their first cruise. And you know what? I would have given this to people, um, not everyone, everyone has different levels of uh, thing activity that they enjoy, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, yeah, some people would have been bored. Um, Matt, t- tell me, when's the last time you were bored on a cruise ship? Uh, never. Yeah, I, I can think of one time, and that was a delayed disembarkation on Independence of the Seas. There was a problem, like, at the port. It wasn't Royal Caribbean's fault. And uh, and when you're sitting in a lounge and nothing is open because you're supposed to be off the ship, uh, that's just torture. So that's my one time. That's <laughs> I, it, I mean, out, of, out of scores of cruises. See, I think people, what they see is they think and they go, okay, cruise ship. That's a, they call it a boat, of course, naturally, which is also incorrect, but that's a, it's not something a else like... Right, that gets Billy upset for an entirely different reason. But they they think that, right? And then they think, okay, 
boat, middle of the ocean, and just sitting around in deck chairs, perhaps with the pool is probably the only thing they can really envision. Uh, you know, and, and it's just it's so far from the truth because there is there's so many activities, especially, you know, obviously we're here on the Royal Caribbean blog podcast. So we're talking about primarily Royal Caribbean, but, you know, cruise ships in general, I mean, they're packed with activities, things to do. And it's really up to you how much or little you want to do of any of those activities. But the bottom line is there are so many things going on during a Royal Caribbean cruise that to say that you'll be bored because there's not going to be anything to do or you're not going to find anything to do is one of the most, you know, unfortunately, just uh, so far from the truth. Uh, it's really an ignorant comment because if you look at a cruise compass, one of the people, things I always tell people is print out a cruise compass for these people. Pick a sea day cruise compass as an example, right? When they're quote unquote stuck on board the ship and print out a cruise compass, the activities page specifically, and show them from dawn until not even dusk. I mean, dawn until, geez, well into the even almost dawn again. How many different activities, events, and things there are for you to do on board the ship? And, and frankly, looking at that, you're going to miss either because you're going to glaze over it, you're not going to know what it is in the description, or or just because there are things that are not scheduled sometimes. You're going to miss a ton of stuff that's going on beyond just that. Um, you know, you, you brought up uh, that people initially picture just sitting out by the pool or staring at the ocean, and and if that's what you want to do, well. Hey, fantastic. More power to you. Um, I can't, and this almost sounds like a bad thing. I can't remember the last time I was on a cruise and had time to sit out by the pool because there was so much other stuff I wanted to do. Um, now Matt, you're, you're a little bit more of a planner than I am. I think, uh, in terms of looking at that cruise compass and going down, finding whether it's, whether it's trivia or a lecture on different topics, um, you know, there's things, the spa sporting related things, whatever sport people do. Um, you know, you, you, you look at a lot of those. I, I sometimes do largely Larissa browses them. I like to roam and just find out what's going on, which also gives me the great excuse of being disappointed later when I find out that I missed something awesome. Um, but yeah, you, I, I guess my point in saying that is look at a cruise compass that just gives you a small idea of the options that are out there. And then understand that there's so much going on on the ship, especially with Royal Caribbean, that you don't have to seek out uh, activity, fun, entertainment, enjoyment, um, you know, bands, uh, you know, films going on, open skating on a lot of the ships. Uh, it, it's really impressive and so much different than uh, to, to maybe borrow an overused expression, uh, like not, not your grandma's cruise, right? Exactly. And, you know, even if you, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about this in the context of trying to convince somebody to take a cruise. And what I tell them also is, you know, these people are really, they're, they're really concerned about it, which they could be. I mean, these are, these are just, you know, unfound fears. They don't know this. So they're, you know, they don't know what they don't know. My also recommendation is perhaps you then lead them towards an itinerary that has a lot of port days. You know, if you're looking at perhaps a Southern Caribbean itinerary out of San Juan, Puerto Rico, that only has one sea day. To a lot of people who are worried that they're going to just be stuck on the ship, quote unquote, you know, with nothing to do, that it's not going to be that case because they're going to be most of the time on shore doing things, which leaves far less time to, you know, sit to 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 potentially reach their their worst fear, so to speak. And I feel like perhaps if you combine that, maybe that's a, with with what I talked about earlier about showing the cruise compass, that allows them to understand and have a little bit more comfort with the idea of being on board the ship. 
Absolutely. You know, that that's a fantastic point. I actually sailed a, uh, a Mediterranean cruise a couple years ago on a small ship, not, not a Royal Caribbean ship, a much, much smaller ship with not a whole lot going on. And with really active itineraries, like you often see in the Med, but you can see them in the Caribbean as well. We're in, you're in a port every day and you want to get off and, and do something, see things, explore, and then come back and shower and eat and pass out because you're exhausted from exploring. Um, I actually, on that Med sailing, both Loris and I, at the end, we were like, man, we really didn't get much time to enjoy the ship. So odds are you'll be uh, you'll be kind of disappointed in the other direction. But that's a great problem to have. I would say for boredom, and really we could probably say this for, for a lot of the things we're going to talk about on this episode, um, talk to somebody who's been on a cruise recently, a cruise similar to the one you're looking at going on because not all cruises are the same. There's, it's not a matter of better or worse. There's, there's a wide variety out there, which is great. Talk to somebody who's gone on a cruise vaguely similar to the one that you're going to go on and see if they mention boredom. See if at any point they were bored. And, and you know what? Maybe, maybe you'll find somebody there, different strokes for different folks. But if that person's anything like you, probably not. Absolutely. All right, Billy, let's, uh, over to you now. What is another cruising myth slash fear that you've heard about for people who are not going on a cruise? So I'm going to go ahead and go with the second of the big two, and that is people are concerned they will get uh, seasick, motion sick, or as uh, as cruise lines years ago referred to it as, I think, uh, traveler discomfort or something like that, trying to <laughs> trying to polish that a little bit. Um, and you know, this is this is one that I think is uh, something that can be a real uh, blocker for people. Because nobody wants to feel bad, right? Boredom, you can say, well, I can find things to do. I can read a book. So I think that it's easier for someone to negotiate with themselves uh, with themselves, the, the boredom risk than it is the seasickness risk. And I get that because if I was under the impression that every time I went over to uh, my friend's house, I was going to get food poisoning, I might love my friend. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep me from going to her house. Um, or unless I bring my own food and cookware. Um, the reality is though, that kind of, you know, we, I said with the boredom thing 30 years ago, different story. Well, you know what? Years ago, uh, weather forecasting wasn't as good. The technology on ships, um, the stabilization, stabilization technology was not as impressive, but also ships by and large were a lot smaller. So today this is just for the overwhelming majority of people, a non-issue, and even for those that experience some level of discomfort, talk to them. I've talked to people who said, yeah, so once in a while I get a little bit, you know, uh, I have to have to take a, a pill or something. They're on their 19th cruise. So clearly it's not that big of a problem, even for those who are particularly sensitive uh, to motion. And you must be particularly sensitive because this is not your uncle's fishing boat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've look, to your point, I've gotten seasick on a cruise ship before. It's happened to me once or twice, and in both cases, I did exactly what you said, Billy. There, I bring Bonine with it. It's an over-the-counter medication you can easily get from anywhere. In fact, the cruise ship stock, and they'll, they'll give it out like candy if you need it. Uh, you know, it, it's that kind of a situation, and it's fine. It just it it it's it works really well, and it combats it. But it's so unlike it's so unlikely to happen. I've been on I don't know how many cruises now. And again, I'm talking about one or two times that it's occurred, but even then, it wasn't that big of a deal in the sense that I just quickly nipped it in the bud, grabbed, you know, the, the Bonine, and I was off to the races. And you mentioned, you know, your buddy's fishing boat. This is the other part of that myth, Billy, which is people say, oh, well, you know, I went on a whale watching tour. I went on a fishing <laughs> boat. 
I went on the pond somewhere, you know, like on these smaller vessels. And it's not to say that all boats or, or all, all vessels that sail on an aquatic body of water are the same. Far from it. It's not even close to it. A cruise ship is such a different experience because you talked about that, Bill. You talked about the size of the ship. You talked about the different technology that's employed, whether it's the um, the stabilizers or the fact that they just, you know, they navigate around the storms and then seek out the calmer waters. This is all very true. So the experience on board is so fundamentally different on a cruise ship than it is on a dinghy, buoy, fishing boat, whatever other thing, you know, whale watching expedition you've been on. Those are completely and utterly different experiences that just are. It's like saying that because you've driven a four door sedan, you have experienced the same thing as driving an 18 wheeler. Yeah, it's there are you know we could get into the 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 physics at play here, but I'll say very simply if you're if you're comparing with another time that you did get motion sick, whether whether it was on a on a boat or whatever the case may be, um, picture you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit larger. Picture a thirty something foot fishing boat. Maybe you're on with a bunch of people on a on a deep sea diving thing. I I don't fish just like I don't sport. Um, but, uh, picture that imagine what it takes in terms of wind and waves to move that vessel, that vessel that, you know, was built by smart people, but is not a crazy over-engineered thing. And it's 30 something feet long. Now picture a 1000 foot long cruise ship. That's 200 feet wide. That has dynamic stabilization that has a billion and a half dollars of technology where the people who spec that ship, the people who had that, the ship made one of the most important things after make sure it continues to float and doesn't catch fire (laughs) is make sure people are comfortable on board. They're designed for comfort. And, you know, a lot of first-time cruisers have this fear. It's, it's an irrational fear, and I get that. It's usually right, right at the top of their reasons why, what they're worried about. But if you talk to somebody who's been on a cruise before, getting seasick is some is significantly lower on their concern list. Something along the lines of, like, you know, is the main diner going to have spaghetti bolognese? And, and right after, uh, is Ron Hiller going to be sitting next to me at the theater? Like, these are the kind of concerns that, that – that's, that's where – getting seasick ranks from my concern level and quite frankly a lot of other cruisers have that same low priority when it comes to it because you realize once you go on a cruise oh it's really not that bad it's not like the the poseidon adventure that that they imagined that it would that it would be because for whatever reason (laughs) yeah and it's i think it's even hard for people once they go on a ship um when when you really realize it is when you tender and yes. here's the reason I say that you will look and I still do it to this day. You look over the side of the ship, whether you're moving or whether you're stationary and you go, oh, that looks pretty calm. I see some little waves there, but they're real little waves and the ship's not moving at all. I mean, you could you could be stacking dimes on on uh, on their edges, uh, you know, because if, if that's what you're into, I, I think Royal Caribbean has way better entertainment than that. But, you know, whatever, um, you know, there's zero motion. And then it's time to let's say you're in Grand Cayman and it's time to tender. And you're like, okay, this should be fine. Stable as can be out there. I saw with my own eyes, we're not moving. And you get in the tender and just trying to step on, it's shifting three feet in every direction with every wave. And, you know, you get a bouncy ride back. So um, it's even hard once you're on the ship to realize how stable they are. 
um, you know, because you don't have an appreciation for for what they're they're up against. So don't look at waves on television or anything like that and think, well, it's going to toss around the ship because really it's it's probably it's probably not. And I will throw on you mentioned this, Matt. I want to make sure that people know um, that uh, Bonine, uh, Meclizine, uh, different medications available um, on cruise ships, they will sell some medications in the gift shop for a real nice markup. Uh, you can buy them in advance on land for much less or every ship I've ever been on at the medical center or at guest services, they will provide you uh, motion sickness medication for free because they want you to be comfortable. Just ask. And there are a lot of other options too. C-bands, which are these acupressure wristbands that many people swear by, um, as well as uh, Ginger. Mythbusters did an episode where Ginger was very effective, all sorts of things. So in addition to this being just a non-issue because of the technology, the size of the ships, the fact that just most people simply don't get motion sick, um, in addition to all of that, know that if you are one of those people who are afflicted, there are a lot of options. Yeah, and the uh, the patch. There's a prescription patch. My parents get it every cruise. They, they don't need it. They know they don't need it, but they just get it anyway. Uh, if you go to your doctor, you can get a, a prescription for a, a patch that you put behind your ear and you wear it for the duration of the cruise. I think they like that because it's just like set it and forget it kind of thing. Sure. And uh, yeah. that's, that's another good option if you're concerned about that. Yep, and that patch is scopolamine. Please, 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 if that sounds interesting to you, talk to your doctor. Don't either get some from someone extra on a message board because I've seen that happen and that's very dangerous. Talk to your doctor and don't buy – I'll go ahead and say it. Don't buy some fake crap on the internet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) er Herbal motion sick ear patch. Congratulations on your $15 sticker. Yeah. (laughs) Scratch and sniff. Um Let's talk about another uh, – this one is – I mean I think some people are going to hear this one, Billy, and they're going to laugh because it's absurd. But I hear this more often than, than not. Maybe – I don't know how serious they are, but we got to talk about it, and that is they're worried about – they quote the Titanic. Have you seen the Titanic, Billy? Oh, God. Right? Did Have you seen – or or, yeah. or more like – or more recently, Costa Concordia. I'll throw both those examples out there. That's a big reason why some people don't cruise. I mean what do you tell people like that? This is one where I have to get you or or Rick or Larissa to uh, ho- hold me, Matt, because I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't respond to this well because just because I'm, I'm flabbergasted by it. And I, and I shouldn't be because, you know, what, we all have fears, right? Yep. Trust me, if you've seen me encounter uh, an insect or uh, or spider, you know, we all have fears. Um, so, <laughs> you know, the once I once I calm down and stop, what do you mean Titanic? I point out a couple things to people. And that is, one, um, be, you know, th- there's numbers, and sometimes we just need to be reminded. And sometimes numbers help, and sometimes numbers don't help, right? We know that in 2018, 30 million people cruised. How many of them sank? Well, not none of them. Um, and we know that there are every day car accidents and you know every year there there are plane crashes and train derailments and things like that 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 happen um cruise ship sinking is just not it's the fact that people immediately recall one or two specific incidents is a testament to the incredible rarity and if i were to start mentioning car accidents that happened in the beginning of the 1900s you'd think i was a nut yeah. Like, why are you quoting that? So much has changed, Billy. Well, yeah, because, you know, in 19, when was Titanic? I, I should know this. 19, I was going to say 13, I believe it. 1912. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure if if you got into a Model T and you hit something at six miles an hour, you were ejected and had a severe head injury. And now <laughs> you would you'd be like, I hope that didn't scratch the paint on my car. Things change, <laughs> yeah. and and it's, man, maritime safety has it ever. Yeah, no, it changed so much. So, I mean, and to your point, that's a really good point. That people always cite the same like two or three incidents. Um, usually that, that Gordon Lightfoot song that everyone loves to sing for three hours, but, uh, you know, it's, it's Titanic Costa and that, that, uh, the, what is it? What is that song? That awful Canadian, um, it's that like song you've heard at a bar every time. Anyway, I digress. I, I'm but, not sure. And I'm not willing to, uh, to <laughs> fend the people, the fine people of Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the point is, is that, um, people, you know, if they bring that up, just say like you know people die every day on highways in this country every day not like once a year every day people die there are highway fatalities i think is like the sec either the what is it the number one or number two leading causes of death in the united states it goes back and you know there's like cancer and then there's like getting dying on in a car accident and but nobody i never when i get in a nobody ever goes in a car and goes this might be the last time I ever live. <laughs> you know, they don't think about it in that way. By the same token, no, when you go on a cruise, you can't, you don't think about it in that way. It's to to, to quote Superman, to paraphrase Superman uh, in the original 1978 version uh, when he when the airplane he saves the the airplane and uh, he puts it down and he goes, "I hope this incident didn't turn any of you off from air travel." Statistically speaking, it's the safest way of travel. Well, cruise <laughs> ships is. Such an incredibly statistically safe way to travel, and yeah, the uh, the odds of that of a cruise ship that you're on sinking is so minuscule that I mean, I, I would love to know what the odds are, and then it probably ranks right up there with like your chances of getting bit by or eaten by not even bit eaten by a shark or tr- trampled by a, a bull or something. It's just it's absurd, and that's why I think you and I, you especially, get very angry about this kind of a, of a fear so to speak i think half the time i think they they know that it's it's silly but it's just it, it's frankly a, a well-cited reason not to go on a cruise I, I so i just did some very quick math since concordia um roughly 1.2 billion people have taken cruises yeah so and yeah, and ninety nine point nine nine percent of them had awesome times, and at least nine out of ten of them booked another cruise if it was their first time. So, yeah, I, I get it. We all have fears, but that's just by the numbers. Uh, uh-uh. we, we've we've learned so much. Are there enough lifeboats? Golly, if someone were to write an article about that, I think we both have articles about that on both of our sites. Um, <laughs> yes, in fact, I will answer that question because that's one of the most common follow up questions I get. Um, not only uh, are you terrifically unlikely to use any uh, lifeboats except for tendering operations when you're going into port planned. Um, but uh, there are actually far more than enough lifeboats. It's required that you have to have far more capacity than, uh, than is necessary. There you go. All right, Billy, it's uh, your turn. Now it's another uh, reason you've heard people don't go on a cruise. All right. I feel like uh, I feel like we're starting at the big ones, and by the end we're going to be like splinters on the railings, um, <laughs> which has never happened to me. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with noro norovirus. People have okay. this idea, and I, I we both know why people have this idea that ships are in some way dirty, that they are that everyone who goes on cruises gets sick. <clears throat> Excuse me. That um, 
that that just disease is rampant. And I will tell you, uh, as somebody that's been on scores of cruises, I wouldn't keep going back if I had explosive diarrhea every time. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a sentence I I didn't think I'd ever say on a podcast, by the way. (laughs) I mean, Taco Bell has its virtues, but I digress. Please continue. I I don't eat there Um, (laughs) because I care about my safety. (laughs) So I'll give you some some quick stats. And and for those who don't know, um, what I'm talking about is uh, norovirus primarily. And norovirus is the most common cause of stomach illness um, in in the world. Uh, it affects millions of people every year, uh, almost all of them, <laughs> the overwhelming majority of them, on land. If you hear somebody say they got food poisoning, they almost certainly got norovirus. If you hear somebody say they have a 24-hour stomach bug, they almost certainly got norovirus. It's just far and away the most common. And... It is true that when you put a bunch of people together um, in a, I don't want to say confined space, but in a, in a you know, uh, an isolated space where you're going to have the same people touching the same surfaces over and over again. Yeah, that, that does pr- uh, provide an environment that is more conducive to the spread of any type of illness uh, or most just types like of it, illness. Just like at schools or, or nursing homes, as an example. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what makes cruising different is really uh, two things. One, if you go on a plane and somebody there is sick and they get 12 other people on the plane sick, nobody knows it by the time people have symptoms because everyone's in different states or even countries by the time they start becoming symptomatic. So nobody realizes, geez, that plane was dirty. And I'll tell you, I fly a lot. Planes are dirty. Um, now, now I'm going to get a letter from, you know, some uh, <laughs> from my ADA or something. But uh so, so that that's one reason that that people tend to focus on this with ships is because people are still around, so it's easy to figure out where disease came from, right? Yeah. Though in reality, every time there's ever been a noro outbreak uh, on a ship, it came from land. Somebody on land brought it. Um, but the other reason is because unlike um, with some exceptions, schools, unlike businesses, unlike hotels, unlike airlines, unlike sports stadiums, when there is a known uh, outbreak of norovirus, cruise lines must report that. Any cruise line participating in the vessel sanitation program with the CDC, uh, that's any ship carrying more than 100 passengers for hire that visits a U.S. port uh, at any point. Um, they have to report when there's when at least 3% of people on board are, uh, are affected. And that means that all the other places people get norovirus, you, you just don't ever hear about it. Ever. Um, cruise ships go above and beyond to make sure that uh, that this is not an issue. And I'll, I'll give you a couple, uh, just another set of numbers, and then I'll, I've been rambling on forever. Matt, I'll let you talk. Uh, I believe it's your show. I forgot what show it was on. Um, but uh, I, I did the math last year. And and you can read about this. I'll, I'll go ahead and plug cruisehabit.com slash noro. That's cruisehabit.com slash N-O-R-O. And based on the CDC's own data and based on the number of passengers that have cruised, uh, and that's from CLIA, Cruise Line International Association, you are 35 times as likely, times likely, excuse me, to get norovirus on land than on a cruise ship participating in the U.S. CDC vessel sanitation program. 
That is insane. I had so many people check that math for me because I did not think it was going to be that extreme. And that was as of last year's data. I just put out an article the other day that uh, showed that 2018 was better because 2018 had the second lowest occurrence of reported outbreaks on cruise ships since 2001. Yep. The the numbers are way down on it. I mean, 2018 was the second lowest level since 2001. Uh, there were 11 in 2017, 13 in 2016. Um, you know, it, it's it's just – it's so unlikely. And unfortunately, we live in a, in, in a day and age in which when it does happen, the media sensationalizes it and posts all about it because it's going to – because, you know, it, there's an old saying in media, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's something that scares people – it's going to get a lot of attention and a lot of clicks, and and unfortunately, that's the nature of media today. They're like, oh, there's you know, and, and I got to give credit actually to USA Today. They reported on the same, they reported similar statistics that you did, Billy. That uh, they said that the the headline is outbreaks of gastro gastrointestinal illness on cruise ships near multi year low. Like yep. you know, it says something when the media is like, yeah, it's really not a thing anymore. And yeah, so. You know, that, that, that kind of is a sign of the times. Yeah, so we went from last year, you were 35 times as likely to get Noro on land than on a cruise ship, to this year, hey guys, it's way better than ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> that's pretty huge. And and as you said, if anyone was going to paint uh, a, a darker picture, it would it would be the media. Um, yeah. You know, and, and nobody... I'm not picking on any particular outlet. This isn't a political thing. This is every every media outlet does it, and it, it drives me nuts. Um, I'll, my 10-second my, my side rant is I remember when I was a kid, growing, growing up in South Florida, there's always cruising in the news, good, bad, or otherwise. And the, a, a news station did a thing talking about how nobody on a ship, on a cruise ship, knew what to do in the event of an actual emergency. And they had a hidden camera, which I'm sure was at the time the size of a Buick. And... Uh, <laughs> And they went up to a, a crew large, member, a large sombrero with the, <laughs> the top and the, <laughs> the with, with a press him. card accidentally still on the sombrero. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they went up to a crew member with a, a hidden camera and uh, asked, "Excuse me, in the event of an emergency, what do we do?" And they said, "Well, you, you go to your muster station and you'll get further instructions from there," which is absolutely the right answer. And they criticized that. And I was like, "Well, because we got to figure out what's going on first, man." So yeah, yeah it's. I really the the media um, does not give a fair cut to the cruise industry, and, and it's especially true in terms of uh, this. So when you see sick ship stuff or or anything like that, it, the numbers it's not real. Uh, it it just isn't. Um, you know, I, I personally don't know anyone that's, uh, that has had a, a gastrointestinal infection on a cruise ship. That's not to say that if you do know someone, may, Matt, maybe you know someone, um, that doesn't mean that, oh, so everything that Billy and Matt said is, is incorrect. No, like people get sick everywhere. Um, yeah. but it's, it's not, <laughs> you're, you're more likely to be healthy on a cruise ship, uh, sans whatever you do to your immune system. If you get a drink package. Let's uh, move on to our next one, uh, next fear. And this one is actually, you know, we talk about some really like, you know, biggies over here. But I think this is one also that's there, not to say there's some truth to it, but at least this is at least a thinking man's um, uh, myth. And that is that cruises are expensive. They don't want to go on a cruise because mm -hmm. they think it's a very expensive vacation. And, you know, it, the value of cruising, in my opinion, is has never been uh, better. It continues to be a really great value, especially when you factor in not 
the fact that it's a floating hotel room that you're getting, but you're also getting in addition to that all your food, all your drinks. Now, yes, there is an additional cost to some food and some drinks, but what my point is is that when you pay your cruise fare, it includes food and drinks. When you go to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, when you go to Washington, D.C., when you go to New York City, when you go to these other places, that's not the case. You're paying for your hotel, then you have to pay for your food, then you have to pay for your drinks, also your entertainment, you know, the shows every night, there's uh, transportation between ports. This is all included, included with your cruise fare. And when you factor that in, we say, okay, well, now I need to factor in, uh, you know, dinner, breakfast and lunch, some snacks, a couple drinks. It, the, the, the math really swings, uh, you know, quite a bit there. And on top of that, I want to quote the uh, Florida Caribbean Cruise Association that said that the cruise industry's establishment of over 30 North American embarkation ports provides consumers with unprecedented convenience, cost savings, and value by placing cruise ships within driving distance of 75% of North American vacationers. By providing significant cost savings through the convenience of avoiding air travel, the new home ports have introduced leisure cruising to a wider customer base. Well, if they said it, it must be true. <laughs> uh, and look, yeah. Go ahead, Billy. Sorry. It's this is the other stuff we talked about. And uh, as as listeners have probably figured out by now, I'm kind of a, not a numbers person like math, but I, I like looking at statistics and, and facts like that. Right. Some of these are, are trickier than others. You are not likely to uh, listen to this podcast and then have your friend um, start crunching CDC report data. I get that. I don't expect you to. <laughs> um, same with with, with any, anything else, right? Even the, the boredom thing, you're probably just going to go, wow, there is a lot of stuff to do. I went on YouTube and wow. <laughs> uh, or, you know, I, I went on that site and I looked at some of the, uh, some of the cruise compasses. But the cost thing, the cost something is something that everyone is inclined to do. Um, unless you just have so much money you don't care, in which case this isn't a concern of yours and uh, call me. Um, the cost thing is something you can easily crunch. I, I challenge people frequently to do the math. Um, and in fact, you don't even have to do the math. You can go to your travel agent and say, Hey, uh, can you find a, uh, a hotel with comparable accommodations to a, a, a modern cruise ship? Um, tell them what city you want to go to, uh, make it someplace pretty. Cause you know, you're going to spend time on the beach or in Alaska, whatever the case may be. And can you also, can you work out, uh, all of my, um, entertainment. I want to be entertained every night. So I'd like to go to a show every single night. So if you can find a theater and get me show tickets every night and I'm going to need to get around, I suppose. So rental car. And, um, can you send me some restaurant recommendations that include menus that have prices on there? Do that math and then go cruise shopping. And yes, there's a wide variety of prices in cruising, just like with, with land-based resorts. But I would pin even some of the more expensive cruises out there with some of the less expensive land-based destinations. And I think you'll find very quickly it, it, it just – the math adds up. Yeah, it's just uh, – there, there is a tremendous value with cruising. And 
You know, the reality is I don't think really I would sit here and tell you that you most people go on a cruise and don't spend another dime and the cruise fare is the end-all, be-all price. It's not. In the same way that when you go almost anywhere in the world on vacation, you don't just book your hotel, your meals, let's say, and your airfare, and that's it. No, you buy souvenirs. You spend too much money at Senor Frogs in some place, and, you know, you do dumb things. You're splurging. It's a vacation. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have to pay top dollar for it. And cruising, especially when we're talking about Royal Caribbean cruising, I find to be a tremendous value. Royal Caribbean is not the cheapest cruise line out there. It's also by far not the most expensive cruise line out there. But when you talk about these mass market cruise lines, whether it's a you know Royal Caribbean, a Disney, a Carnival, or Norwegian, you know you're in a you're in a particular zone financially that presents a uh, a value proposition to the consumer that they can have a great vacation. And it's going to include a lot with it, a lot more than a land vacation. Again, when you do, when you actually look at the big picture there and add it all up, it, it certainly, I, I think in my mind, is very comparable to it, if not certainly superior in a lot of ways, uh, especially when you talk about, you know, the transportation and getting, seeing more places. Um, it's just, it, it, it's such a great way to travel, but it's also a very uh, economic way to travel as well. Yeah, and you're going to have far more options because even if you did a land-based resort, you're going to be in one place all the time. If you're hopping city to city, you're going to lose a lot of time to transfers, to customs, to flights, to checking in and out of hotels, finding, figuring out where you're going, things like that. Um, so there, there's also a level of practicality that goes along with that that I think is very valuable um, as well. But when you when you look at the the cost, don't um, you know, Matt? You, you said, yeah, you're you're going to spend some money. I would say it, it depends, right? Sometimes you see deals with a uh, lot of onboard credit and, and things like that. I'm in six days, six yeah, six days. I'm going on a cruise that I anticipate at the end I will probably have to buy some stuff in the gift shop to burn through the last the onboard credit I have because everything's prepaid. So you can you can work out. Um, through through all sorts of different means that you can read about on royalcribbenblog.com, you can work out uh, paying for a lot of these things up front even more if you want to add to your vacation so that you have a very predictable cost. And that's another difficult thing uh, to do outside of cruising. Some people I've heard say, uh, oh, now cruise lines, they nickel and dime you. I, I, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, to the extent that now cruise lines have a lot more options than ever. And yes, some of those options are no longer included. And what I mean is all of your meals can be included, every single one of them. And in fact, on most newer Royal Caribbean ships, that doesn't mean, oh, so I'm going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the same one or two places every day. No, on some ships, you could you could rotate between eight complementary venues on your cruise and still have a lot of variety, completely complimentary. Cruise lines have added additional options. Just like if you're on land, you have the option of splurging and spending some more. Absolutely. You know, one thing I always hear about also, Billy, um, you know, we talked about this, we talked about the, you know, I'll be bored thing, but also the, uh, you know, I don't want to, I want, I don't want to do as strict to a schedule. I don't want to be on someone else's schedule. I want a vacation the way I want a vacation. That mm -hmm. cruise ships are like, um, you know, it's going to be like, I don't know, summer camp in the 80s where it's like, all right, campers rise and shine. Uh, we got at 9 a.m. We're all going to go do Pilates and then we're going to go, uh, you know, then there's this and this activity and that activity and this activity. You know, that one is one I hear a lot also about it. And the reality is, I mean, you know, 
there's, I mean, the cruise pl- uh, compass that we talked about earlier, where that lists all the activities, these are all optional. You can do whatever you want. You can sit in your bed and watch movies all day if you wanted. You could sit in by the pool and do nothing. You could do a ton of activities. But the only compulsory activity is the muster drill, which is the safety drill that you have to do on, on day one. But other than that, you're on your own, buddy. I will have you know also, that muster drill, complimentary. <laughs> no extra cost. <laughs> no extra cost. <laughs> uh, what about you? What's what's another uh, reason that you see for people uh, not going on a cruise? So I've got I've got at least two others here that I, that I want to mention, and I'm I'm looking at the list and I'm trying to decide which to talk about. And I think uh, I think I'm going to go with one that I, I'm I'm betting you don't have on your list, and this won't affect everyone. It's probably not in the top five or even ten list of reasons that people give for not wanting to take a cruise, but it's a very real concern and, and a, one that I can understand and appreciate from a lot of people, and that is they have some sort of um, medical concern that keeps them from from cruising, whether that is, uh, let's say, a dietary restriction, like a food allergy, or they're dependent on uh, some type of, uh, medical equipment. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a broad category here. So I'm not going to say, Oh, there's nothing that keeps anyone from cruising. That would, that would be an absurd (laughs) point for me to make. Um, but I think, uh, we can both agree that cruise lines have really, um, especially over the last couple of years started to try and bend over backwards to make sure that people don't have one of these reasons to not cruise. So I'll, I'll give a quick example in each category, and, and then I'm, I'm interested to, to hear, Matt, what you, uh, what you come up with. Um, for example, somebody who is dependent on, uh, let's say, I'll just say breathing apparatus, whether it's a CPAP um, just to sleep at night or even, even a respirator, um, <clears throat> pardon me, the cruise lines have will help you with distilled water, with with power needs, with storing oxygen, with all of these different things. Now, you want to reach out to guest services where you're travel agent ahead of time. There are special desks, special special groups of cruise lines that deal with just these things that they will make it easy. And I mean easier than any hotel you'll ever go to for sure. Um, and the other, the other one, talking about dietary restrictions, let's say somebody who is – I'm not even going to go with vegetarian because, frankly, I'm vegetarian. That is like not, – that's not even a thought. Uh, but maybe somebody who uh, has a, a a food allergy, they're allergic to onions. That's that's one that happens. Um, and much like if, if you've ever been to, to Walt Disney World or Disneyland, similarly – Right away, there are people that are noting from from even before you arrive, noting your restrictions, talking about alternatives, pointing you in the right direction. And from there, it's all about communicating, make, making sure that everyone you encounter knows, because as long as they know, they will help accommodate you. Absolutely. And we talked about uh, wheelchair accessibility was one that um, comes mm. up a lot. And we did, we talked in episode 263 of the Royal Green Blog podcast um, with our good friend uh, Laura Calvin Counts all about the – the, the challenges that are there. there I mean, it's not to say there aren't challenges. I think you find these with any of these that you're talking about, Billy. I mean, this exists in the, on land just as much as at sea. But just like on land, there are definitely ways to mitigate them and actually get around them in a lot of cases. And, you know, wheelchair accessibility is another one that people, you know, know uh, you know, so I, someone has mobility issues. Let's expand that even further, right? 
And whether we're talking about wheelchair or just having trouble getting around, you know, they're a little older, their knees aren't so good, whatever the, the reason may be, you, regardless of that, there are a lot of great options for you on board. I mean, again, in episode 263, we talked all about that. But, you know, bringing it into this conversation here, the good news is Royal Caribbean is very accommodating. And regardless of your special need that we're talking about, there are definitely means to, uh, to, to, to mitigating those problems. And I will tell you that some of them do require some work before the cruise. Some of them are, you know, a great example, you talked about some dietary requests. You know, you're, you're, you're vegan, you're vegetarian. Those are kind of the sort of things that, you know, you don't necessarily need to do all that much prep ahead of time. It's just a matter of, you know, once you're on board, taking certain steps. But, you know, some of them require more work ahead of time. But it's, you know, that's up to you, I think, to – it behooves you to do that kind of research ahead of time. But the bottom line is there is the opportunity for you to enjoy a cruise vacation regardless of your specialty not let it hinder your ability to go on a vacation like cruising. The, the wheelchair um, issue, I will say – perhaps more than any of the things that we have discussed so far or that we will discuss is something that has improved in a huge way over the years. Um, I'll just say it. Cruise ships were terrifically inaccessible places for, uh, for those dependent on wheelchairs, uh, or, or potential with other mobility issues, uh, 15 years ago. It was, it, it honestly, I, I found it kind of unacceptable. <laughs> um, and I didn't realize until some other people pointed it out because, I have the privilege of being able to get around pretty easily. And uh, I realized that a while ago there were just certain entire venues that you couldn't get to. Nowadays, I, now I look for it. Every ship I go on, I was just on Celebrity Edge a couple weeks ago, back in six days, and and all around Edge I was looking. I think I found um, one little part of a room that you couldn't get to, uh, with mobility restrictions. It was about a, a, I don't know, an eight foot by six foot area, uh, in a room that in one of the largest rooms on the ship, uh, all the way midship. Um, and, and that was it. Everywhere else I saw they had, they had lifts and ramps and, uh, and things like that. And that's, that's been a huge improvement. So even if you've maybe been discouraged by what you've seen in the past or what you've heard from people in the past, know that on modern ships, Man, that's a huge improvement. Yep. Um, we've got time for a couple more here, Billy. I wanted to touch on one that um, I've heard before, which is that if you, I'm sure you've heard this the same before. Cruises are for the newly wed and nearly dead, that you find uh, a lot of old people on the cruise, or it's just if you're a honeymooner, that's fine, but otherwise it's just old people on the cruise. And, that, and that's one that I've heard uh, quite a bit over the years. And actually, the, the best advice I heard about this was somebody said, well, everyone gets old, consider your cruise a preview, which is a very <laughs> dark way to dissuade that fear, I suppose. But um, <laughs> I think we, we, you know, again, in the context of Royal Caribbean, I can tell you, I mean, that's not that's not the case at all. And we're not talking, you know, cruising, you get a lot of different folks from all different age groups. I looked up actually some statistics here. According to Cruise Critic, the demographic often seen on Royal Caribbean are families, plus Couples and their and singles in their 30s to 50s. The median age for a Royal Caribbean cruise is in the low 40s, but it's slightly lower on shorter cruises and slightly higher on cruises of 10 nights or more. But the bottom line is here, you're getting a healthy mix. And this idea that, you know, it's it's just going to be like a floating retirement home is just it's not true at all. Yeah, I'll correct one thing you said, and that is only the only the lucky get old. Not everyone gets old. Um, so the. It is true for long ago that cruising primarily attracted much older clientele 
and newlyweds. That was a long time ago. Um, now, cruise lines, there are brands that do certainly attract a much older clientele, just like there are brands such as Royal Caribbean that look to cast a wide net and the the uh, the lion's share of that net goes to uh, goes to bringing in uh, families with children, in fact. Excuse me, children ranging, you know, for in age, whether it's, uh, you know, infants all the way up to, uh, you know, to, to just before adulthood. And they they design their ships and their activities and their dining options and everything around that across the industry in North America. You know, what? I don't know what it is uh, with the latest stats a year or two ago. I believe the the average cruiser across all brands was 46, I think, or in mid to late 40s um, across all brands. And that even counts some where I can tell you, yeah, on some other lines, I I, I went on a cruise one time. Larissa and I went and we were the literally the second youngest couple on board uh, in our mid 30s. Um, but another part of that is I, I guess I don't understand the big deal because we befriend, befriended uh, a couple that was in their 90s on that cruise and had a great time <laughs> hanging out with them. Um, people can really relate to my old man bitterness. Uh, <laughs> Beyond Royal Caribbean, they, they're 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 attracting very wide age range and on any cruise line the longer the cruise as a general rule of thumb the longer the cruise the younger or excuse me the the older um the the guests will be just because you know who has time to take a 14 night sailing well more often than not it's people who are retired that they, they're more likely to um be in a financial position than somebody say in their 30s and they don't have to take time off of work so you see that and you of course also see fluctuation with um with the time of year and the destination alaska tends to skew a little bit older than the caribbean though that's changing year by year that is changing um and uh you see there are some uh, some itineraries which and this goes along with the length but if you look at three night Bahamas sailings that's a that's a weekend getaway for locals or that's a that's a party cruise largely you'll still find a wide range of people um it is just not the case on Royal Caribbean a lot of young folks families uh young couples groups of friends uh, of all ages and multi-generation across the entirety of the travel industry this is a broad statement but I'm going with it across the entirety of the travel age, tra- travel industry multi-generational travel is a a hugely growing segment um, ask any travel agent that's where they want to be right they want to be with um they want to be booking a situation where a family is going on a trip maybe the grandparents said you know what this year we're all going to insert name of the place here and they want that place to be a royal caribbean for example cruise ship uh where you have grandparents you have aunts and uncles you have the, the the kids and maybe even friends of, of the adults or the kids coming along appeal to multiple generations. That's why you see um, that's why you see more and more sweets and sweet options for uh, often, though not exclusively, some of the uh, the guests who have been younger for longer will say. And you know you have a lot of stuff right there in the middle, as well as many things for kids of all ages. And I mean that not just the kids programs, but kids of all ages being you know ice skating, for example, on uh, on a cruise ship. That is a great example of that. Absolutely. All right, time for one more Billy from you, um, and then our uh, the FCC says I can't, we can't do any more flim flam on this episode about uh, about stuff. Flim flam. Uh, yeah. Thank you for thank you for really driving home the point that people who cruise are not old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh boy. So the last one I'm going to say is, is specific to a season, uh, but it's a pretty big season. It's a very popular season for cruising. People are worried about hurricanes. I know this relates to a couple of the other concerns we had, but I think it, it merits, um, it merits mentioning. Um, I've heard people who have cruised other times of the year even, and are, are happy cruising say, I would never cruise during hurricane season. And I, you know, a part of me goes, oh, there's so many reasons that you should look into cruising during hurricane season. Another part of me says, hey, Billy, don't say anything because sometimes there are crazy low rates during hurricane season. And if these people find out that it's great to cruise, it's going to drive those rates right up. So uh, so I'm always conflicted. Uh, Matt, you cruise during hurricane season. I think actually we've cruised together probably at least four times during hurricane season. Um, yep. what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you hear this from people as well? Or do people just look at me and think that, uh, I have all of, uh, all of the, the suave nature and wonderful improv- improvisational skills of a weather forecaster on television? Well, at the risk of this podcast reaching Mongello-esque, uh, length, I still, I need to weigh in here, Billy, and say that the hurricane season is not the end all be all of bad weather, first and foremost. And second of all, odds are it's not going to affect you. I cruise every year during hurricane season. Hurricane season runs uh, from the beginning, or sorry, the end of June through the beginning of, or the end of November, I should say. And it is a is a big swatho time. And it's not to say that if you go on a cruise during this time of year, it is going to be, you know, just you know, thunderbolts, thunderclaps, uh, lightning, and very and very waves. frightening. <laughs> Sorry. Mamma mia, mamma mia. Um, uh, the, it's not like that. It's not going to be that kind of a scenario. First and foremost, cruise ships will, if there is a storm, they go the opposite way. They go completely out of their way to avoid them. So it's not like they're going to be like, well, you booked it. You're lost. Nope. They don't want, first of all, the cruise ships don't want to put their equipment in right. the way of a storm <laughs> that's going to damage their investment. Second of all, they don't want their next biggest investment, which are their customers, in a situation in which they're going to have a potentially their safety affected. So there, that there's that as well. Uh, you know, as a reason that it's it, they're going to go somewhere else. The ship goes somewhere else. Second yep. of all, uh, the example I give. I'm not sure this is going <laughs> to. This is a interesting argument, but I'll still bring it up anyway. If many people may remember the incident that Anthem of the Seas had a number of years ago in which they got caught up in a storm and there were some very high waves and the media made it sensationalized, I think, more than it was. But it was a big it was a big deal in the sense that a ship got caught in a storm because it was a very fast. It wasn't a hurricane, by the way. It was just a fast moving storm. But the point of this story is that happened in wait for it. February, not hurricane season. (laughs) So bad weather is not limited to hurricanes. It can happen anytime. Now, again, I, that's probably not going to convince people. I'm not sure you're what? helping. Yeah. yeah. But the point is that hurricane season is not the end-all, be-all. Oh, I have to worry about that. That's the reason not to go on a cruise. It's really, really not a reason to avoid a cruise. To your point, first of all, you're going to get much better prices during hurricane season. But second of all, you, the, your ship's not going near it. They will go to great lengths, literally and figuratively, to get away from these storms, they're just not going. It's just not going to happen. Yep, I, I tell people right out the gate: cruise ships go around storms, not into them. My biggest concern when I cruise during hurricane season, this is absolutely true. This isn't hyperbole. It is something I'm genuinely concerned with, and I actually take precautions because of this. My biggest concern about cruising during hurricane season is that a hurricane will come and hit my house. I live in Southeast Florida. 
Uh, I live actually now right by the water. So when I leave on a cruise, if there's any chance of a hurricane developing, I take all of my electronics, I put them off the ground, I move things away from windows, I store things, you know, I, because that, that my house can't go around a storm. It just sits there and waits for it to happen. Uh, and it has happened. Um, ships will go around. Now, you do need to be aware if you're booking during the peak of hurricane season, especially, um, that it's all the more reason not to fly in the same day as that your cruise leaves because the airport can't go around a storm, right? So you can run into situations where there are flights that are interrupted, even if the flight isn't anywhere near that storm, just because, you know, it's domino effect with flights, right? So that's a consideration, but not a concern that you should have. And in some, in the wild and crazy event that, that, uh, that you ended up in a bad storm, uh, like with Anthem, um, you know, as you were describing the, the Anthem, uh, incident in February, uh, I was thinking to myself, oh, you mean the storm where everything ended up being pretty well okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> the internet didn't even go out. <laughs> they were all right, watching the right. Super Bowl People on TV. People were live streaming, streaming the storm. Doesn't yeah. that tell you something? I can't live stream a hurricane at home because <laughs> I don't have power. <laughs> I don't have internet. I don't have any of those things. Um, yeah. I have years ago before weather forecasting was nearly as good, before there were satellite communications, I was actually on a very small ship, um, half the size of, uh, of Majesty of the Seas, to give you an idea, that actually did go into a hurricane. And uh, you know what happened? Uh, I guess it might have probably broken some plates in the galley, uh, <laughs> made it so you couldn't sit out on deck. Uh, and that, that was it. So, yeah, this is the, I, I, this is one that I will put into the category of call me. We'll talk about it um, yep. because I have real hurricane concerns living on the coast. Uh, cruising is not. It is not, I'll go on a cruise to avoid a storm if I could. That that would be ideal, in fact. Um, and it's something both you and I have written about, and we will continue to write about, and we will continue to cruise during hurricane season. And one more thing. Royal Caribbean is the only cruise line I'm aware of, unless something's changed, that employs a full-time chief meteorologist, James Van Fleet, who came on following the Anthem incident, and now his job is to track every single Royal Caribbean ship that's out there and make sure that they are avoiding, actively avoiding, any bad weather, whether it's a hurricane or just some, you know, some rough surf somewhere. They're navigating the ship to keep it as safe as possible. So they've really taken safety to the next level, in my opinion, mm -hmm. by having that sort of a thing. And it it, it adds such – first of all, it's interesting optics from a guest standpoint to see that, but also – I haven't – with all the storms in 2017, if you remember, that was a big year for hurricanes, you know, with Hurricane Harvey and Irma and Maria and Hurricane Matthew and, and some other storms that have come since then. But the point is that they they had no incidents with that. Their ships were well out of the way of these storms and were able to uh, really go around it. And I, I give a lot of credit to, to James Van Fleet because he was sharing, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're doing it. And that, I think – put a lot of people's fears to ease. Certainly, I enjoyed looking at that. But that's a big difference maker, if you ask me, in terms of if you're worried about bad weather, because that's really you can kind of take the hurricane season argument and, and expand that. It's just I'm worried about bad sure. weather on a cruise. The The reality is it's just it's it's very, very unlikely because, again, they're taking active steps to avoid that from ever happening. They don't want you in a storm for a variety of reasons. Yeah, and, and lest you think uh, that, well, great, they have a chief meteorologist who, by the way, you guys should follow on Twitter. Uh, tweets fantastic stuff. Um, 
and unless you think, oh, great, they they have a chief meteorologist, and now we have this this layer. Isn't there more? Let me explain to you that any uh, ship, uh, any master of a ship with an unlimited tonnage license, which all of these cruise ship captains have. They know more about weather forecasting and and meteorological conditions than anyone you'll meet other than a meteorologist, um, hands down. So what uh, what the addition of uh, James Van Fleet does is actually make it so that the captains can have somebody who is focusing full time on the weather. Believe me, these men and women that are that are masters of these ships know so much about weather and how it affects the ship. It would. Bl- Fine. And now they just have somebody that can distill down the important information for them who is always looking at that 100% of the time. That's his job. So that's a very cool thing they did, that they did. And I think we'll see other cruise lines move in that direction as well. There, there's, there's really just no reason not to. Um, and that applies, by the way. He keeps an eye on uh, the Celebrity and Azamara and uh, presumably now Silver Sea fleets as well. Absolutely. Well, Billy, thank you so much for joining us here and shooting down some uh, nasty myths about cruising, and hopefully we've given some people some ammunition in their fight the next time you guys are at Thanksgiving dinner or whatever family function, and you mention, we're going on another cruise, and then somebody brings up one of these myths, bam, you got some, uh, you have some now counterpoints to, to provide them. And of course, uh, Billy, if they're looking to hear uh, you talk even at greater lengths, about cruising if if one hour of you just wasn't enough how can they find you online you can find me at cruisehabit.com we've got lots of content about all different cruise lines and cruising history and and weather sometimes and also uh, check out the cruise habit podcast wherever you get your podcasts i will uh i will add uh, very briefly matt that uh you nor i have had these arguments over thanksgiving dinner the last several years do you know why what do we do that because <laughs> we were on a cruise Yes, it, it's a fantastic time to cruise. So see all the advice we're giving you for getting along better with your family, communicating better. We're, we're here to help. So thanks. Check out cruisehabit.com. Matt, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it is almost always a pleasure. All right, it's time for our listener email segment. This is the part of the episode where I read the emails that you've sent me. Well, maybe not you, but somebody listening to this podcast sent them in. And, of course, you can, however, send me an email by sending it to matt at royalcreamblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcreamblog.com. Our first email is from Ryan Rayfield of Westchester, Pennsylvania. Wanted to touch base after my recent cruise on Anthem of the Seas over Thanksgiving. My fiance and I recently got engaged two weeks before the cruise, and we couldn't have had a better time celebrating than with Royal Caribbean. Everything about the ship was amazing, and I would sail on it a million more times. A couple areas I like to address, especially dining. We bought the BOGO dining package for nights one and two, which ended up being a steal at $40 per person total. We chose Wonderland and Chops and couldn't have been more impressed. After realizing the dinner in the main dining room isn't anything to write home about, we decided to do another specialty restaurant later in the week at Jamie's Italian. Steak is my favorite meal ever, and Chops certainly did not disappoint, but my god, James Italian was by far the best meal on the ship. I could not get how over how authentic it tasted. Entertainment, this is something Anthem does extremely well. Spectre's Cabaret and We Will Rock You are must-see shows. Unbelievable job. I forgot I was on a cruise ship 10 minutes into each show. Speaking of Spectre's Cabaret, 270 became one of our favorite spots to hang out. There's plenty of hilarious game shows and events in there, as well as the awesome bar with an even better view of the back of the ship. This part of the cruise really blew my mind, so I give the cruise staff much praise. Also, the Music Hall had some amazing live music every single night. 
and was always our last stop every night before going to bed. Overall, I could talk for hours about this, this experience with the ship in a positive way, but I know you have a lot of other questions to answer. I want to try an Oasis-class ship at some point, but I also can't wait to get back on Anthem. Thanks for all you do with this podcast. Because of your episodes, I picked up so many money and time-saving tips that made this vacation so much better. This is my fiance's first cruise, and as soon as we got back to Cape Liberty, she said she couldn't wait to go on another one. Time for wedding planning, but we'll be back on Royal Caribbean in no time. Well, Ryan, I'm so glad to hear you guys had an awesome time. Congratulations on your engagement. That is great to hear. And I could not agree more with everything you said there in that review. I think the things, if there are two things Anthem of the Seas does really well, it is the entertainment and dining. They really do a great job on there. And I love Jamie's Italian. In fact, I'm pretty sure Anthem of the Seas is where I rediscovered my passion for Jamie's Italian. It's so good. The food is amazing there. You got to get the planks. You got to get a couple different pastas to share. Oh, it's so, so good. So I'm really glad you had an awesome time there. Thank you, Ryan, for that email. Our next email is from Jared. Right? We have a group of about 20 people selling on Liberty this season in January. One of our port stops is Roatan, and it's a new port for everyone. I wonder if you have any recommendations on any good beaches for the day. We we're looking for something relatively easy to get to, meaning nothing too isolated. Shops, restaurants, bars, facilities are a plus. Another stop is in Costa Maya, which we've been to several times, but never left the port area. Based on your lukewarm recommendation of Maya Chan, kidding of course, <laughs> we're thinking of trying it out. Do you recommend making an online reservation, or can we just take a cab there when we get there? Jared, for Costa Maya and Maya Chan, definitely make a reservation ahead of time. I don't think they can. I mean, I I don't know that for a fact. I don't. I would not recommend at any point to just show up there and make a reservation. You definitely want to do that. Not chief among the reasons, Jared. By booking it ahead of time, your transportation is included, so you don't have to pay for the taxi. You know what I mean? So uh, you definitely make a reservation ahead of time. For Roatan, when we went there, we checked out the Mayan Princess Resort. It was booked through Royal Caribbean directly, and it's a short excursion. It's a it's a hotel. That, but they have facilities, there's pool, there's uh, lunch and drinks included. That was a really good choice, Jared, and I feel like that would be a, a nice option for you. We did post a review of it at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our next email is from Cruz and Susan, who writes, A listener was asking about the digital photo package. It is cheaper to get your photos printed on land, about $5 on land versus $20 on the ship. Because of restrictions on printing commercially done photos, you do have to get a release giving you permission to print the photos if you're going through the service. I was able to find this release through the Royal Caribbean website where the info on the photos is available. Susan, thank you for the information about the photos. You're absolutely right. There, I remember we got photos, professional photos on Royal Caribbean, and then we wanted to get copies of them. And a couple places wouldn't do it because of the copyright issue. I think, actually, Sam's Club, I think, repeatedly did not care one bit. And they were like, sure, whatever. <laughs> and they just copied it for you. But, uh, Susan, thank you for uh, mentioning you can get the release online for those photos. So that way you can make copies. I mean, they are your photos. It's not like, you know, you're, it's a art, work of art or anything like that. Next, we have an email from Mark who writes, Just listen to your smooth sounds of your podcast. Quick note to Toronto about Toronto fellow asking about Majesty into Cuba. Fast answer to Canadians. All you need is a passport. As a Canadian myself, I've been to Cuba for vacation three times. All you need is a passport, and we walk right in. No additional paperwork required. Mark, thank you so much for the information about Cuba. That goes back to episode 280 when uh, I think someone was asking him, being Canadian, what you need to have. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Next up, we have an email from James Barkley. Matt, love your podcast. Myself and my family are traveling on alert this season in May 2019. I cannot seem to find information on this particular question, though. I have two cabs for my family, two different reservation numbers. If I use the app to check in, does each person need the app, or can I check in with the whole family from my phone? Ooh, that's a good question. 
I'm honestly not sure of the answer in this situation. Uh, so far, the app is so brand new, and I've only used the mobile check-in once on Symphony. Well, I've used it a couple times on Symphony, but that being said, it was always one room, so I haven't tried the two-room approach. So perhaps somebody who is has used this can, can explain. I would say that at the very least, you could use this with two phones, right? One phone has re- reservation A, and the other one has reservation B. At the very least, I'm not sure how it works with... You know, that being said, in the, you know, in your Royal Caribbean app, like, we have, like, two rooms booked for one of our upcoming cruises, and I know for that one, we have, you know, you basically can see both reservations, so I would imagine, at the very least, I could swap out of, you know, account A into B, uh, but, you know, at the very least, like I said, if you did it with two devices, that would cover the basics of it anyway, but, anyway, it's, I wish it gave you a better answer, I really do, I just, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a better one. Uh, let's hopefully I have a better answer for our next email, which is Michelle and Dan, who writes, We'll be sailing on a lure of the seas out of Miami at the end of the March with my parents for their 40th wedding anniversary. We think it'd be a lot of fun if they were contestants on the Love and Marriage Game Show. Any tips on the process and getting selected? Love the podcast and all your tips. Uh, to get your parents selected, you need to tell them they need to be very animated in the process. They need to get there early. Before the show, they will take, the cruise director staff will take contestants, you know, the last four people to volunteer. Inevitably, there are usually a few people competing with. Sometimes you may get lucky and you'll default into it. But what they will do is they will ask each couple to who's volunteering to prove to the audience they are deserving. This usually involves uh, them doing some sort of a bit where uh, the the one of the one of the cup one the one person in the couple says you know something really like oh I love you love you love you and the other person has to like show their love it's like it's a bit of a skit almost for like 10 seconds you're supposed to like be animated the example I give is uh, that I've seen is you know the, the couple pretend one couple pretends to be Tarzan and one Jane and be like you know me me Tarzan me love you lots and, the, and Jane and Jane goes you know oh Tarzan you big ape I love you too and then like they jump in each other's arms and you're supposed to like it's kind of a funny thing to get the audience to woo they want they want people who are animated and excited you know what I mean so make sure your parents are animated and excited and certainly when they audition for it that's the case uh, you can certainly watch some YouTube videos to see some examples of people who've who've applied for it in that um, but really it, it's kind of a bit of luck there's a, that element to well you got to impress the staff and there's only so much you can do but I, if you have a plan ahead of time again based on some of the YouTube videos you've seen perhaps there's an opportunity for them to come up with the shtick beforehand so at least they can have a, a plan of attack if you will and I certainly wish them the best of luck and happy 40th wedding anniversary that is awesome and our last email is from Mandy Cleveland right good afternoon I was hoping to get answer some questions about my first time ever cruise coming up in March 2019 my aunt and I are selling a rhapsody of the seas Western Caribbean seven night cruise what are the hours of the Windermere Cafe and are there any places on the ship that are open 24 hours to get a snack or drink that's a really good question. Looking at a past cruise compass that I found on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com for Rhapsody of the Seas, uh, the Windermere is open for breakfast from 7.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. Then, they, uh, re- then they're open for lunch from noon to 3.30. And then you'll have the Windermere also open for dinner. Well, they'll do snacks. Where is it? Uh, there's a coffee station available 24 hours outside the Windermere, basically on your way in. There's a, before you actually enter the restaurant, there's a little, you'll see it, there's a little station. Those are open 24 hours for coffee, so you can always get that. And for dinner, the Windjamere, 
is open, oh, there it is, 6 to 9 o'clock. Now, again, these hours can change here or there. For 24 hours, you would the only option that's open truly 24 hours for food would be room service, and you can get that any time of the day. But, of course, you've got Cafe Latitudes open until 11 o'clock. Uh, the ice cream parlor is open until 11 o'clock. Uh, late night sacks at the Park Cafe is open until midnight, and then Park Cafe has more what they call comfort bites all the way up till 2 a.m. So, you know, unless you're really looking to eat between 3 and 7 a.m., you'll have... I think some some decent choices for you to uh, to consider there. And lastly, Mandy says, do we do we have to use foreign currency at the ports, or can we just use prepaid Visa cards? In the Caribbean, everybody takes cash, American dollars, uh, so you don't have to worry about that. You can use um, credit cards. The prepaid Visa cards, I know, technically are credit cards, but you may run into foreign transaction fees with them. I would recommend bringing cash, and U.S. dollars is fine. You don't need to transfer your money into pesos or bohemian dollars or anything like that you may sometimes get ch- uh, ca- uh, change back in local currency you can usually ask them not to it's rare for it to occur but it can occur but anyway uh, everybody takes u.s dollars in the caribbean i even in cuba where they're not supposed to they still do but uh i think you're gonna have a great time on there don't worry too much about it and again you can use your visa cards for it where they do take credit cards some places don't i mean it depends where you're going you know i'm thinking like in cozumel when you're downtown, most places most places take credit cards. But obviously, if you're buying something on the street or from a vendor in a in a market, they may not have credit card readers. So you should be prepared to bring cash with you. But American dollars don't don't even think twice about trying to convert it. It's just a waste of your time. U.S. dollars will go there. So thank you, Mandy, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Of course, if you want to send me your emails and ask me something about your upcoming Royal Caribbean cruise, we're happy to discuss it here. Send me, send me that email to matt, M-E-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.